G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 12 preview edition as we move into the buy rounds, a shorter menu, six games for the next three weeks. Um, Thursday night games appear back on the menu as of next week. Um, that'll be interesting, it'll stretch our uh, attention spans a bit, uh, particularly if the games aren't uh, of great standard, so fingers crossed on that score. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? I'm very well. How are you, mate? And uh, I'm good. Always a big thank you to our wonderful sponsors, Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. 80 years, uh, amazing a burger place for 80 years, and I reckon I'd... I reckon if we went back in time, 40, 50, 60 years, their burgers would be the same, that same great quality and just simple, perfect burgers. Absolutely. Well, all the uh, ingredients for them would have been delivered by horse and cart, no doubt. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Horse and cart burgers. Well, I, I'm, I can remember when the milk was yeah, okay. still being delivered by horse and cut. Yeah, I remember just really early in the morning. How is old it, are we? Well, is there anything that makes you feel older than the knowledge of that? Um, yes, I've been revisiting my youth a bit lately, and it's not always, uh, it's not always a fond memory. Um, bit going on in the footy world. Actually, you mentioned Andrew's Hamburgers. We'll be announcing our latest competition winner, Towards the end of the show, um, just to refresh people's memory about what our competition was. Well, it was wet weather, and I don't think it's any less relevant for this weekend probably than it was last weekend, but wet weather football memories, and we've got some uh, great uh, entries to read out and a winner to announce. And also have to thank Nick Spartels and Hardwick Buildco, that great construction company around the Albert Park area, and uh, Dyson Heppel's place is now complete, Scott Pendlebury's, Mike Sheehan, with some names that people would know. If you're looking to add value to your house, then they're the people to go to. Wonderful, wonderful people. Nick Spartels and Hardwick Buildco. I'm glad Dyson's house is finally complete because uh, he's been doing it rough. You can just tell by his hair, you know. Like, I mean, where's he been sleeping at night? Yeah. Actually, speaking of Dyson Heppel, I, I won't say who, but somebody contacted me during the week, uh, a fellow member of the media who's putting together a best 25 players so far for the season. Ah, yes, I was contacted by that person. <laughs> um, and he just asked for a few smokies that he may not have been considering. And I mentioned Dyson Happel, not that he's a smoky in terms of his ability, but just, I said because Essendon have had a bit of a rough go of it this season, people might overlook Essendon as a team to contribute to the 25, but I think Heppel's been really good this year. No, I couldn't agree more. I, I think he's been outstanding, actually, and uh, he gets uh, a few knocks on him about disposal and lack of pace, but um, his effort, uh, more than anything this year, has been terrific. It's, it's actually been a really good captain's performance from him and uh, couldn't agree more. That's a very good call for you. All right, we've got a lot to get through. Uh, let's rip into our news segment. 
on Footyology Newsfeed. Exclusive, breaking, sensational. Uh, no, all, all that hyperbole is probably actually close to the mark this week because stories in footy don't come a lot bigger than a coach sacking. And uh, we had one, and we've now had in a space of two weeks two coaches depart their clubs. Brad Scott, uh, the previous week, obviously, at North Melbourne, though in far more harmonious circumstances. And this week, Brendan Bolton. And um, look, it's it's been mooted for a while. Um, I've got to be honest, Fanny, I, I was still quite surprised because I thought their uh, performance against Essendon, and it wasn't good, in no way, shape or form was it good, but I've seen uh, a lot worse performances from the Blues, and uh, I've seen a lot worse performances that preceded the sacking of a coach, so uh, something about the timing I, I thought was pretty um, surprising. What was your initial reaction? Oh, look, I wasn't surprised. I think that the kettle was boiling, and it really only took... As you say, not a not a, a terrible loss to the Bombers, but just almost another loss. Given that Essendon were not considered a top team, a, an opponent that you'd just concede the game to, it was always dangerous, and there obviously was moves afoot. So uh, it's fair to say his card was marked before that game. It was just a matter of picking the right game to pull the trigger on. David Teague replaces him, and I'm always curious when a coach is removed to replace him by one of his deputies. I mean, it really isn't much of a change. You've really sort of deck chairs on the Titanic type of thing because at the end of the year, surely the review will include the assistant coaches. And David Teague, I don't think there's a lot that he could do to hold that position. Whereas at North Melbourne, I think Ray Shaw is really auditioning for the spot and is a genuine chance. I don't think David Teague's any chance of coaching Carlton next year. Um, well, there's some big raps on him. I mean, you always hear good things about an assistant when he moves into this sort of role. But, you know, he's been doing it a fair while now. I mean, he, I think he retired at the end of, was it 2008? Um, and he immediately started coaching the Bullants and got them to a couple of VFL grand finals. And then he went to West Coast. I think he was defence coach. And then he went to Adelaide. Uh, he had a year at St Kilda, at St. Kilda too, yeah, definitely. in between. Um, so that's a fair time in the system. And I, I think more and more you're seeing that. I mean, like people like Blake Carousella. I mean, Cara's been an assistant coach now for, I think, 12 or 13 years. So, yeah, look, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Um, Are we not used to Carlton pulling or wanting at least to pull a, an ace out of the pack, a, a yeah. joker out of the pack and name a, a big you know, a big ticket item as a coach. I, I think after this one, um, they will move heaven and earth to go for an established name because um, I, they've now had, the bottom line is they've now had two coaches, if you go back to Wayne Britton, who didn't play AFL footy at senior level. And I, yep. This shouldn't be a factor, but it still is. And uh, those two having been seen not to work, um, I think they'll be... But then again, who preceded Brendan Bolton? Michael Lotus. No, no bigger, you know, no bigger coaching name. So um, I, I just find it funny with Bolton, and I, I, I understand why they've moved now, but if you went back only, what, four weeks, 
the game against Hawthorne down in Tassie when they got five goals up and played a quarter of the best footy Carlton has probably played for six years. Yep. And some other really close shaves as well. I mean, only, what, three weeks ago, pushing Collingwood, leading Collingwood by a couple of kicks into time on of the last quarter. Now, the thought at that moment of sacking Bolton, I reckon, surely had to be a lot further away. So, you know, and the other thing is that when this happens, it's usually clubs caving into public pressure and media pressure. I actually don't think the pressure around Bolton was a patch on what I've seen it around other coaches when this happens. So after four years of supporting him to the hilt, they they act, they finally buckled. And my thing about this is I just don't see, well, I do see because it happens regularly, but this administration and this board has tied itself so closely to everything that Brendan Bolton has done that for some of them not to fall on their swords either, I think is extremely hypocritical. Yeah, very interesting to see what the future is of the, is it chairman or president? Of Mark Lajuda, so. Yeah, see what his future is at the club. But there's always been a suggestion that... <laughs> if he loses his position, does he become Mark Sub-Judas, so? <laughs> Legal term. <laughs> there's always been a suggestion that um, there are people pulling the strings, that there are powerful forces external to the club, Money generally is the sort of the commonality here that might be making decisions from afar. And if that is the case, then that Carlton really have to stop, you know, they have to do the old draw a line in the sand and become a, a, a club that is governing itself with some transparency and end the speculation that it's a. An external force, may it be from the Pratt family, may it be a Matheson, that's in fact calling the shots. Okay, three words. Nail, hit, head. Because that, to me, is the single biggest issue at the Carlton Football Club and has been for the last 30 years. Or, in fact, longer, really. In fact, if you want to go back to when they got Ron Barassi from Melbourne in 1965, that that was a, a, you know, money came into the club to get a big name. That's when it started. And... For the first, I don't know, 25 years of that, it was a, a fruitful formula. But the system has changed and the running of football clubs has become a lot more professional. And I, I am with you 100%. I think that those influences have been so destructive. And you know what? Like, And let's name names here. We're talking about the Pratt family and the Matheson family. And those two names have loomed large over Princes Park for a long time. And I think their influence, uh, in some cases, it's been quite direct. You know, Bruce Matheson has come out and been outspoken and been quoted in the media. And I think sometimes it's been more um, more subtle than that. And often in situations like this or, you know, with a big sort of spectre from the outside, it doesn't have to be the direct exerting of influence. It's the implied um, sort of brooding presence in the background. A, a very good analogy for me is Rupert Murdoch. You know, people say, well, does Murdoch get on the phone and tell his media outlets what to do? Well, no, he doesn't have to because they know exactly what he thinks and they sort of make sure there are people aligned um, of the same philosophical view. And I think this has tended to happen at Carlton board level as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who aren't that happy with Mark Lajudice's performance in that 
presidential role who feel that he is, I think, puppet would be a bit unfair, but unduly influenced by those outside uh, forces. And I can understand the people on that board being worried by those things too because um, the fear that those powerful moneyed families crack it and withdraw their support, you know, for a footy club which needs all the rev- revenue it can get, particularly the Blues, that would be a terrifying prospect. As terrifying as it is, they need to be self-governing and we'll just see what the future holds for Carlton. But in the short term, do you think that David Teague can get the instant sugar hit that Reece Shaw got at North Melbourne? Um yeah, possibly, because I, I think, as a rule, this season they've been a lot more competitive and their patches of good footy have been longer. So it's possible. But, you know, I, I think you might... We've still got half a season. I think you might see a sort of temporary spike and then, as the novelty wears off, things sort of revert back to where they were. Any, um, any players that have been pigeonholed that would be looking forward to the new opportunity? Um just trying to think. No, no one. I, I don't feel like there were players that Brendan Bolton had sets against. Um, maybe there was a feeling like uh, it was all about the young players without enough guidance from more senior players. But the more senior players that could be useful to the Blues, they've already um, shipped away elsewhere. So, I mean, what, what do you think on that one? No, I would have maybe a few weeks ago thought that Levi Casbolt had been pigeonholed, but his move to the back line has been pretty successful so that's worked it'll be interesting when Liam Jones is right and he may be back in the next week or so whether or not they play Casbot and Jones in the same back line they're sort of yeah. they're sort of both two failed forwards yeah. who had their have had their careers resurrected stroke saved mm. by moving back of center I don't think you can play both of them down there no, no, I think I think that's a good point. Obviously, there'll be heaps of speculation about who the new man is. So the the uh, the jungle drums are throwing up the names Michael Voss, and there's absolutely no question. I think we spoke about this last week. Um, Voss's name is being pushed forward by various influential media types, and from within the AFL itself. I think they like the prospect of a you know a favourite son rehabilitated and, and given a second chance. Um, and part of me sort of would like that too because I'd like to see an ending of that sort of prejudice against coaches who have one hit at it and it doesn't end well and that seems to mark their cards for all time. Someone else, you know, whenever a position comes up now, someone inevitably will throw up a name like Gary Ayres. And, uh, you know, I think about Ayresy and, you know, he had a uh, he had a, a, a winning percentage of over 50%. Um, the season before he got the chop at Adelaide halfway through the year, he was he got them to finals. Uh, it took Geelong to a grand final, of course, in his first year as a coach. Has coached Port Melbourne with great success in the VFL. And that continuity, even at VFL level, means that he's not been too far away from the coalface. So mm. he's very comfortable with modern football philosophy. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. I think it'd be very remiss of anyone not to at least have a chat to him. And and the uh, scenario that seems to be gaining a lot more popularity is the idea of a you know a godfather coaching figure, sort of in conjunction with a um, a younger, less experienced person. Now, Ru- Paul Roos, who always comes up in 
disguise. Um, he sounded pretty unequivocal to me about not wanting the senior gig, but he did sound reasonably interested in a support-type role. So maybe if Ruzi did that, they would be more comfortable about having an untried um, assistant coach. And could, then they, could they go the way of horse racing? It was sort of confronting maybe five, seven years ago when we saw the first thoroughbred racing training partnership. And now it's almost, you know, except for a couple of the really big stables, it's almost de rigueur that uh, training trainers are pairing up. It's quite interesting. Well, And then I saw something extraordinary just to that end during the week. Mm. Mick Price, who you'd be familiar with, is a well-known trainer. Yeah. He's taken on a partnership. And it seems to be Michael Kent's son. Yeah. Well, we've already we've already odd. we've already done this. Um, David Parkin and Wayne Britton, and it was like the media refused to believe it. Like Parko kept saying, "You know, I'm joint coach with Wayne Britton." Yeah. And everyone just always deferred to Parko, but yep. um, that was the arrangement in 2000 when the Blues had a, their last great season. You know, yep. could have theoretically won a flag so uh brad scott obviously he'll he'll get thrown up um of the assistants the names i think you're hearing the most uh uh carousella um justin longmuir keeps getting thrown up a fair bit good raps on him um at collingwood now adam kingsley uh yeah his name seems to have sort of dropped back a bit when they round up the usual suspects. Okay. and But you never know why that happens, really. Yep. And then I think it's important to point out, too, a couple of more recent coaching appointments have been more out of left field, e.g. Luke Beveridge, um, Chris Fagan and Don Pike, all of whom had spells either out of the system altogether or in non-coaching football roles. So, yep. you know, look, you need a, you need a broad... Uh, brush of of skill sets, no doubt about that. But again, getting back to that bottom line for me, I don't think this is in any way just about the coach. And I think Carlton is going to continue to have issues unless they can straighten out that sort of influence from on high. So we'll um, watch this space with interest. Okay, another story that's just blown up in the last 24 hours or so. A reigniting finding of the uh, Nathan Buckley Mick Malthouse feud, and uh, got to say the timing of this one didn't look great for Nathan Buckley. Uh, Mick Malthouse gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Nathan Buckley does his spot on SEN the next morning, and uh, I didn't hear it, but clearly asked by Jared Waitley about the nature of his relationship with Mick these days, and um, he didn't hold back. No, it's. Uh, obviously, was this caused by the scheme of arrangement, for want of a better term, at Collingwood, the succession plan? Or do you think it's more deep-seated than that, that these two men just are very different individuals who were forced to, you know, eat from the same eat from the same trough and they're never, ever going to have seen eye to eye? Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised because, geez, they would have worked very closely with each other, Bucks as captain, you know, and Mick as coach. Yep. I suspect, I don't know this, I, I suspect it's got more to do, not with the initial curability agreement, but how Mick react, how Mick um, conducted himself with Bucks as that arrangement neared the end, you know, so in, say, in the last year of Mick's coaching tenure when, of course, they 
was so close to winning a premiership and then perhaps the immediate time after, because you remember Mick was supposed to stay on as coaching director and that yep. didn't happen. He, he went to Carlton. So I, I think maybe Bucks is a, you know, felt like he didn't get the sort of support that a novice, well, not a novice coach, but a first-time senior coach required. And, and they're both very proud men and, and they're both very confident in their own abilities. And, um, you know, I... I I like both of them, so it, I, I find it. I read that and I sort of thought, "Geez, I, I, I mean, I'll put my hand up for him." I, I sent Mick a text message after the Hall of Fame, and you know, because he's been good to me, and he's been, you know, Mick. You know, a lot of people misunderstand Mick Malthouse, and he's very hard to get on side. But if he decides you're okay, he is an incredibly loyal guy, and um, you know, just a little. Anecdote doesn't mean much, but um, I, I spent a week at Collingwood inside the club as back in two thousand seven, and uh, you know Mick took a bit of convincing to agree to it. But um, once he did agree to it, he couldn't have been better to me. And also, when I set up Footyology, the website, um, again he was fantastic help. He was so supportive, and he gave me a little. Uh, you know, testimonial thing to run on the site and said nice stuff. And so, you know, there's a lot about him that people don't get. And Nathan Buckley, I really like too. I, I like his intelligence and his his dry wit. And, um, you know, he he's, seems to have really matured as a, a person and has a bit more perspective on, on life and football. So, you know, it's just one of those unfortunate ones where two, you know, um, strong personalities just, have a, a falling out. I hope they can resolve it. Yeah, and you know what? I look at it as, yeah, it makes the back page of the Herald Sun and it's a, a story that you can craft. So whilst it may make sort of salacious reading because they are two giant figures in the game, no question about that, it really is just two blokes that have a different uh, view looking back at their time together and the time that they were sort of, you know, split. The time that people would imagine there was some angst between the two of them, they probably view the reasons behind that a little bit differently. But I don't think beyond their own personal relationship, it's a big football story. No, but yeah, no, the salaciousness of it is what appeals, no no doubt about that. The one thing I keep asking myself, though, is, you know, Bucks is a very seasoned media performer now, so he goes on and does his SEN slot. Why, when he was asked the question, didn't he, particularly given the fact that Mick the previous evening had been inducted into the Hall of Fame, why didn't he just bite his tongue one more time? Yeah, I think we've got to the point now where there is enough feeling between the two of them that you could not ask them a question about the other without and they're both honest straight shooters confident in their own position in football so they're not going to couch their response because of a sense that gee if I say the wrong thing about Mick or if Mick says the wrong thing about Bucks this could come back and really affect my future employment prospects or my how I'm perceived in the media, they're both very confident about their own place on the foot, in the football landscape and they also feel pretty strongly about each other that you could not ask them a question about each other without getting a very honest response. No, no, it's true. I think there's only one thing uh, 
one course of action left with this, finding. I think it's for TV, you. It's a TV show. No, no. I think you and I uh, grab the two of them. We head down to Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, and the, the bread is broken, and we resolve the Buckley Malthouse feud. I, I'm confident we can do it. Do, do you think uh, it's the right place to do it? Do you think that there is an intrinsic difference between these two men? Sometimes when you have a look at... Uh, Two people that just don't see eye to eye, and you ask, "Gee, they're both decent blokes." I wonder how that could happen. You go back to their their upbringing and and their, the very type of people there are the their essential their essential selves. Take football out of it. You know, Mick came from a very modest modest beginning. He lived in Ballarat, did it very tough as a youngster. Had was afforded no privilege as a young man. Mm. Whereas Nathan had a very different upbringing. Yeah, it certainly wasn't privileged, though. I don't no, think. no, it wasn't privileged, but it did involve private schools yeah. and, and being sort of handpicked from a young age as a very special footballer. So in terms of his professional upbringing, because football is his profession, he was always privileged. Yeah. He, he always knew where he was going, whereas Mick came from very humble beginnings and had to do it very tough, you know, driving from Ballarat, the back pocket, you know, the the sort of fringe player at St Kilda then had to really work hard at Richmond to become an established player and it was all done on his amazing courage and devotion mm. that they are very different footballing creatures. Yes, you know, and, and I think Buck's alluded to that in, in his comments, in his swipe. Unquote. Even then, he talked about Mick's upbringing and and you know scrapping and and fighting for everything that yeah. he gets, and and that perhaps informs your personality in in later years. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I I suspect it'll die down. They'll have a hopefully, and I'm not serious about Andrew's hamburgers. Though if they do want to break bread, they should still go there. But um, I reckon saner heads will prevail, and they'll they'll patch it up because they've had a long and and generally pretty productive relationship. All right, final one before we move on. We can segue to the Hall of Fame because Mick was in it. Correct, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So uh, Hall of Fame, always a great night, Fonny, and we will touch on that in Media Watch as well. Uh, But six inductees, no legends this year. The uh, quota um, had already been fulfilled, but uh, the six inductees, in case... Uh, you somehow don't know them, but you're still listening to this podcast. Uh, the late Ron Evans, of course, Essendon full forward, Essendon president, AFL Commission chairman. Um, the legendary Trevor Barker. And I know you, like a lot of Saints people, would have been absolutely wrapped about that. Brownlow medalist Brad Hardy. Uh, uh, lovely guy, Brad. Really like him a lot. So I was wrapped about that. Mick Malthouse. Uh, and Kenny Hunter, one of the most courageous players of all time, and not forgetting, but a South Australian football legend, Jim Dean. Just as well they didn't call him James, or obviously a reason for that, given when he was around too in the, uh, uh, when was it, early 50s, basically, yep. to mid-50s. Interesting story, I must say, I, I knew absolutely zero about him, and um, to hear about how good he was at South Adelaide, and then... I think a couple, only Two a couple of years at Richmond, at Richmond yep. um, but just the lure of home proved too strong. But uh, it's always a great night, and uh, the stories around those players and the speeches and their family tributes, etc. Um, it's become a bit of a cliche. The group, the best night in the football calendar, but it really is a night for footy purists, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there were, first of all, from 
just a personal perspective and that of any St Kilda fan of my vintage and probably, you know, if you're 50 plus, Trevor Barker was everything you could possibly hope for in a footballer and also had that famous um, post-football aura as well with the uh, girls flocking in an era of sort of, I guess it was rock and roll superstars and fainting, girls fainting at touring bands like Bay City Rollers and oh, he had that aura as well. So in and around the Moorabbin area that I grew up, sightings of Trevor Barker at places like the Saloon in Church Street and other local hangouts were not uncommon on a Saturday night. But the good, good thing about him was he didn't conduct himself like a rock star, did he? Oh, he was no, a not, very, very humble and approachable. He was and, so, uh, so like this. Yeah. No, he's a lovely guy, true. You won't find a... You won't find somebody out there to have a bad word about Trevor. Mm. And and then his father, Jack, who yeah. was a, a great local identity and St Kilda fan, Cheltenham Football Club supporter. And, you know, you could always, and Jack would always be more than willing to stop and have a, a chat about Trevor. And it's very sad when uh, a parent has to bury a child. So it was always done literally, this is not figuratively, with a tear in Jack's eye. He, he, oh, yeah. he would always missed up talking about Trev. But Barker, the player, I guess if you weren't a St Kilda supporter, first of all, Trev was there during the real lean times for St Kilda. You know, he started in the early 70s and between 1973 and 1991, St Kilda didn't play in any finals and that was Trevor's time at the club. And, and I guess from afar you would remember Trevor from, for some spectacular high marking. So when you've got the blonde hair, the good looks and the high marks, you might lose the point of Trevor Barker, the footballer. And what he was, was fearless. He was a true utility. When, where St Kilda needed plugging or, or maybe winning the odd game, Trevor Barker would move from fullback to the halfback flank to on the ball to full forward. He would go where the action was and he remains, and maybe it's now something that can't be changed in my mind because memories of childhood heroes are through rose-coloured twenty, you know, hindsight vision. But boy, could he tackle! He was mm. a magnificent, you know, to the fingertips gripping tackler, mm. courageous, down in the mud, hands and knees, a difficult opponent, brave, and not dissimilar to another player who played for a club that I did not like, but I adored Ken Hunter. And there were great similarities between Ken Hunter and Trevor Barker. And I'm glad that they both reached the Hall of Fame on the same night because the parallels in their body shape and their courage and their aerial ability, even though Hunter was a different type of spectacular mark, were very similar. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well said. I mean, you see a montage of Trevor Barker's great marks and they always show the one at Windy Hill over Dennis Scanlon, so 1979. The, the famous ones are Windy Hill, Dennis Scanlon, yeah. and I was at that game. So was I. I was on the wing. 
So I was, was I. perfectly placed <laughs> to watch that mark. Yeah, I was in the cow shed on, on the far wing. I remember that game very fondly because it was an Easter Monday. Tim Watson kicked seven goals. There was the 1978 the round 22 game against Carlton. But there was also, now what I was going to say was he took that one over Dennis Scanlon, but the year before when, when St Kilda um, beat Essendon at Windy Hill, he took another one A almost as good. Yep. There, was, um, there was that. The one at the Lake Oval in the pocket. Extraordinary mark. Was it over Ricky Quaid? Yeah, I was going to say John Rantel, but... Um, no, no, I think it might have been yeah. Quay, but it's the one where he's it started up high and he almost rode him to the ground. He sits on his shoulders, basically. Yeah, and he stays there, yeah. and, and as Quaid or the, whoever the Southman player was crumples, he stays on him, almost the eight seconds that you need to be on a bull for a successful ride at a rodeo. And, and Kenny Hunter, too... Um, I think the thing that you think of first and foremost with him, well, you think courage, but with Hunter, I also think, uh, you know, big occasion player. I can't remember a Carlton final where he wasn't one of their very best players and um, particularly, say, the 82 grand final where he got the absolute bejesus belted out of him in the first quarter and came back and was a, a really important player for him. And I also liked his look, the sort of, a beanbag. He was like a human beanbag. He was just really sort of floppy. Yeah, well... It, um, and, and the socks down and the jumper out, you know, that untidy look. He would mark from in front, but he could still get off the ground. And I love the way he used to be able to contort his body and, you know, ride it sort of backwards and inv- invert his body. Mm. But once those... Yeah, that's what I mean about the beanbag. Yeah, once yeah. those hands <laughs> grab the ball, and remember, you know, this was a... This was a merciless time in football. Now there is some protection afforded to the man in front and, you know, duty of care. Carelessness is penalised by the match review or, you know, you can be suspended for carelessly cannoning into somebody. Not back then. If you were in front of a pack, well, you know, somebody as light as Ken Hunter, it was no different to standing in front of a herd of stampeding wildebeest. I mean, he just had to wait for the pain. And he was never disappointed. It would come, but he would continue to put himself in, in fears, in harm's way. Yeah, that and eight, not Wade Harms. That <laughs> that eighty-two grand final was one of the truly brutal games of footy. If you haven't seen it, I think it's all up there on YouTube. All right, big news week. Uh, let's move on with the rest of the show. On Footyology Media Watch. Yes, the always controversial media watch. Uh, maybe not so controversial this week, but uh, intriguing. Why do I say that? Well, there's something afoot at the AFL, finding There's always something afoot at the AFL. But um, I've been hearing a few things about stuff that is going on within AFL media, if that's what it's still called, which uh, some people might find rather curious others might find um disturbing have i piqued your interest p-i-q-u-e-d yes i am piqued all right so um there's been uh, the afl had a a big uh symposium about a week ago uh afl media where they talked about the direction they wanted to take and uh you know all the Things that are involved with AFL media, like the website, and uh, I presume, I don't know this for a fact, but I presume the AFL record, which of course Croc Media now owns, um, giving Croc Media a sizable entree into the AFL world, um, video, etc., etc. Uh, there's been some staff 
movement in the last few weeks. Several people um, and a, a couple who I know uh, have been sadly made redundant. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm probably biased here, but the people involved, knowing them as I do, it wouldn't be... Are these journalists? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, wouldn't. Uh, Who's been made redundant? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't want to say the names, actually, okay. because I, I don't know how... I don't think they'll mean much necessarily to people listening to this, but I can assure you that they're, they're pretty capable people and... Um, any redundancies wouldn't have been based on their ability, um, which sort of makes you think, well, why are they doing it? Um, but in all this talk, I've, I've heard from a couple of different sources now that there is a new person running the AFL media side of things. It was a guy called Matthew Pinckney, former Peril Sun Juno, and he was moved on as well uh, a few months back, I think. I, I didn't hear about this till recently, but... There is a new um, executive in charge of those things, a woman called Sarah Wise, who I've got to, I know nothing about, I'll be honest. I think she's English, of English background. Um, but I, I keep hearing these suggestions that the AFL website is, <laughs> weird as it sounds, going to be moving away a bit more from hardcore football coverage, i.e., history, um, you know, uh, nostalgia type stuff, which I've frankly thought they don't do enough of. They're going to move further away from that and they're going to actively court younger audiences um, with quote unquote lifestyle coverage. What does that mean? Lifestyle? Well, I have no idea, but when I think about lifestyle, I think about home renovation shows cooking shows, gardening shows. So um, the possibilities are endless, and uh, I've got to say personally, endlessly horrifying if that's what we're talking about. Now, now, let me say, this is speculation. I can't confirm that that's the sort of direction we're talking about. But there's another interesting element to this, and it comes with the naming of Marvel Stadium. Now, when that deal was first announced, I remember thinking, gee, that doesn't seem like a a normal sort of fit for a sporting stadium. And, and I remember sort of half-jokingly throwing up worrying scenarios about, you know, superheroes playing for teams and stuff. And we all had a chuckle about it. But then we saw the AFLX thing come around this year and with, you know, sort of cartoonish named sides and and the, the graphics and, and all those sort of concepts. And I thought, wow, this is actually already sort of getting closer to that direction than I thought was possible. Um, and there appears to be a bit of a feeling at executive level that they really need to work harder to court younger audiences and, you know, in this sort of fan engagement sort of sense. So I think you will see more of those sorts of things happening at footy grounds. Um, but I think you might see a bit more of it happening in the media too. So, you know, I mentioned gardening, you know, cooking, blah, blah, blah. But I think you're also talking about competitions, um, you know, uh, interactive stuff for younger audiences, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, 
my first question when I digest all this is why? Um, because I think the AFL website, unless I'm mistaken, does very, very well in terms of traffic. And it has its issues. I, you know, I don't think it's particularly user-friendly and I think it's a bit too busy. So things like that could be improved. But that's not a question of the direction or the content. That's just sort of organisation and, and cosmetics, you know. Um, so I've got to say, that's it, it, all a bit nebulous, I know. But I've just been hearing this sort of stuff in dribs and drabs. And um, given the propensity for the odd surprising decision or strategy coming out of AFL headquarters in recent times, I'm a little worried about it, Fanny. Yeah, it's got the half-baked feel about it. And it's not uncommon in modern media to have these nervous executives or, or people given the power to make decisions about directions of marketing, directions that the website will take, directions in the future of the company. Let's just portray executives as being 45 plus and there's a disconnect between them and young people, 15 plus, how they communicate. So there's this growing gap and and a fear of older executives as to how to be part of the next wave of uh, media, media association with younger people and what's a, you know, What's Instagram and, and Instagram's being replaced by another form of communication and YouTube's making way for a quicker version of YouTube. You know, people don't have 30 seconds to spare. It's now six seconds. <laughs> you know, what's a meme? What's How do we become part of this tidal wave of new communication? And generally, the attempts by traditional organisations, and we'll call the AFL a traditional organisation using more traditional ways of communicating, generally their attempts to be part of the new wave of communications are half-baked. They're sort of, they're, they're nervous forays into a world that they're not particularly sure of. And what you end up with is neither one thing nor the other. You don't have, in the end, a traditionally relatable product that maybe older fans or even younger fans would be able to associate with. And you don't have a modern hip way of communicating that young people latch onto anyhow. So what you end up with is this mishmash, this sort of, you know, wetting of the toe, dipping it in the pool, but not really diving in and assuming a position either as, a very hip, young, communicative website or a traditional website. And if you're not one thing or the other, you're going to be left with your pants down. Yeah, so well, that's my fear for this fora. You know, as I look for uh, my vision of the future of this is that the website will take a new direction and that will only be a countdown to the current person in charge of the website being replaced by somebody else who makes a big song and dance about returning to a more traditional football-based website. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, I, I think you're spot on. I think particularly that thing about being betwixt and between. and um, You know, we're trying to be hip, but you're not hip. No. Well, I, I had this... Um, this was a, a constant source of discussion 
at the age that you know the uh, people who were concentrating on the print edition would look at the website and go, "What you know? Why are you dumbing it down?" And the website people would say, "Well, you know, the the fact is that the." the more populist stories get more clicks, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you, the danger is that you might get a few more people jumping on, but they're not necessarily as loyal or attached to the product. They're, they're passes through, you know, rather than people that are there for the long haul. And what you do at the same time is you piss off your core constituency. And... Um, you know, I, that's what worries me about it. I've got to say, I, I really, I'd love to be wrong about this, but I, I am so fearful about that sort of turning up their nose at history and, and nostalgia and stuff. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. We both love it. But, you know, if there is no one, you know, I don't want to sound sort of overly romantic about this, like sort of uh, indigenous tribesmen or someone, but if it, you know, if there aren't people passing on the stories of yesteryear, and we saw it again at the Hall of Fame. If there's no one to pass on that, those accounts and and that knowledge and the um, education of younger people about the history and culture of the game, you're left with a very shallow, um, sort of superficial understanding of the game. And what that means is that if people come to the game with that shallow superficial feel for it um, as soon as it turns you know things aren't so good they turn away and find something else and it's a bit of a chicken or the egg thing this we talk about the younger generations having that tendency anyway but perhaps that tendency is perpetuated because they don't have the resources to be imbued with that same love and passion for the game that we were finding. You know, it, it really worries me, this, and particularly the AFL. They have the rights to all that footage and, and you know, all those resources. And I, I know, because I've had these discussions with people, there are people who work there who are constantly frustrated at the failure to utilise more of this. And it's, it's all in this, predicated on this belief that, oh, you know, kids aren't interested in it. Well, Give them a chance to be interested in it by at least sort of putting it there in front of them. At the moment, they probably don't know because they don't know where to go to find out. You know what? When we started going to the football, it was an essential part of going to the football, buying the football record, correct? Yep. yep. Do you remember what there used to be in the football record? Well, the numbers, the names. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the races, the yes. fixtures. You're forgetting um, a very... Uh, a very rock and roll with Kevin Hillier. No, no profiles no. with players. No, no. Um, I'm I'm forgetting something, am I? Yep. Uh, this day five years ago. Oh yes. This yes. day ten years ago. Yes. This day twenty years ago. Yeah. And I read that every week. Yeah. And well, there, there was a there was a a very in your face history lesson in the footy record every week. Well, the AFL website, uh, and as you know, I, I did rounds of our lives for Mark Grook, and um, you know we did it on. Footyology in, on Channel 31. Yep. Um, the AFL website, until I think a couple of years ago, had something like that. They had, what was it called? Was it On This Round or something? But they, because they had the access to the footage, they it was great. It was fantastic. And as far as I know, it was reasonably popular. So, yeah, it, it's annoying when these decisions are made at a whim. It's even more annoying when these decisions are made by people without that love of the game. I have one word of warning for the AFL. Yep. 
and I think they should take this very, very seriously, and I mean it. One word, Poochie. No, you're going to have to elaborate. The, Sim- the Simpsons episode. Oh, when, I haven't seen it. Oh, this is, it, it really is, sums it up. For yeah. fans of The Simpsons, yeah. uh, Krusty the Clown was given some ratings figures and told that the itchy and scratchy part of his show was losing viewers, yeah. especially younger viewers. Yeah. So they created a hip new character, voiced by Homer, called Poochie. <laughs> and what is Poochie? He's a dog that likes surfing and skateboarding, and he's super cool, and in fact was super daggy, not super cool. Yeah. But it really sums this all up. So if you want to, you know, Simpsons fans will know exactly what I'm talking about. Is there a happy ending with Poochie? No, it gets, Poochie gets... It does well, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Poochie rates terribly. And no, that's what I meant. That is a that, happy that, ending. Well, it is a happy ending. <laughs> Poochie is removed from our screens, but... He was supposed to be the hip, new, cool addition to the Simpsons, to Itchy and Scratchy, that would connect with younger viewers. It has, let me tell you, this is Poochie. Yeah. Poochie, AFL, Poochie. Yeah. Even the use of the words hip, new and cool. Correct. Strike fear into people's hearts, I think. All right. Um, oh, okay. Hang on. Have we got a, oh, we're, Poochie, we've found him. I'm half Joe Camel and a third Bonzarelli. I'm the Kung Fu hippie from Gangster City. I'm a rapping surfer, you the fool I pity. Oh, Poochie is one outrageous dude. Yeah, <laughs> I'm up for Poochie. <laughs> but you get it, don't you? you I, 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 Just insert Poochie and all the young fans uh, will follow. I do get it and I don't want to get it again. All right, that's enough media watch. Let's preview some games. On Footyology, previews. With punch. Rightio, uh, as we said at the top, only six games as we move into the buy rounds. This will be the case for the next three weeks. Uh, curiously, some of them will be played on a Thursday night, thus stretching the round out even further. Not this week, though. It's Friday night football kicking it off, and a great game, this one. This hopefully could be one of the best games of the season, finally. Richmond currently in sixth spot. Uh, taking on Geelong, currently two games clear in top spot at the MCG, a ground where their recent history hasn't been great, but it has been pretty good this season. Yeah, this was always the problem for Richmond with all those players out. I think everybody agrees that they've put in a really good shift this year. But the fact that they lost last week to North Melbourne becomes problematic when they play the top team this week because two losses in a row starts to have alarm bells ringing. So can Richmond, still with key players out, defeat Geelong? They would be expecting to get Kane Lambert back this week, hopeful at least. I mean, he's an important player for them because he's a four-quarter performer. He's the sort of guy that really runs the game out well, gets a lot of important possessions in the last quarter. You know, Geelong have been fantastic and the form of Tom Hawkins now marks him as almost the best in his career. I can't think of him playing better, Rowan. Uh, not as consistently. Oh, 2012, he was sensational that season, but uh, all Australian as a result. Yep. But, um, yeah, certainly since then, which is, you know, seven years ago. Uh, hard to tip against the Cats, but I just think that Richmond, with their backs up against the wall this year, have gone into state a couple of times and had fantastic wins. We know that the MCG, even though Geelong have won there this year, is a place where Richmond have been able to 
put Geelong into a world of hurt by making it very difficult for them to get the ball forward. And I think they will probably refer back to their premiership year and the preliminary final of that year and the job that they did on the Cats. Well, not the preliminary final. Qualifying. Qualifying final. That's right. The preliminary final was against GWS. But they'll look at that game and remember exactly how hard they made the ball movement for Geelong that day, that night, refer to that, and I'm going to tip the Tigers. Yeah, so am I, and I thought this might be one where I went differently from you. And it, it's this is the proverbial hunch tip, Finey. Um, the Richmond bounce back theory, the Geelong due to drop one theory. Uh, two games clear, so you know coming into a break for them, so they might just subconsciously relax a little bit. Um, I was also there down at Geelong last week when they beat Sydney, and they they were good, but they weren't great. And the Swans pushed them really hard, even without Josh Kennedy, and could have moved within a couple of kicks quite late in the piece. So uh, don't get me wrong, I think the Cats have been fantastic this year, but um, yeah, last week just wasn't as... Uh, imposing as they have been, and uh, I think the Tigers really need to make a stand here. Um, it's a bit of a, a challenge to their position, and uh, given that they're six on the ladder, they can't afford too many stumbles. So, yeah, I'm going for uh, a minor upset, I think it would be fair to call it, yeah. uh, Tigers to win for both of us. All right, we move on to Saturday, and we move on to Marvel Stadium, where... Uh, I'm told there's going to be a uh, cooking show and the uh, crew of, um, uh, what's the building one they do? They'll be there. And no, I'm just kidding. That's a sign of things to come, perhaps. Carlton taking on Brisbane. Carlton, of course, post the sacking of Brendan Bolton. And uh, Brisbane post, well, making every post a winner. Uh, another good win over Hawthorne at home last week. What happens in this one? They have to win this one, Brisbane. Look, yep. they had a great win against Hawthorne, coming back from a famous last kick victory over in the West over Fremantle. And this is a team that now genuinely can play finals in 2019. But you don't play finals if you can't beat a team that's 1-10 and 10 on the ladder. They have to win this game. Mm. It's not going to be easy. It will not be easy. A team that replaces their coach, and by the way, history tells us that it's no quick fix for a victory either. But they will come out there, smoke, you know, smoke coming out of their nostrils. Is that where smoke comes out of? Um, If you're a dragon. Yeah. Well, they should be dragon-like in their approach. But then again, they came out all guns blazing against St Kilda. And there's one thing to come out, with great intent, there's another thing to have the poise and <laughs> assuredness to take advantage of it. Well, uh, given uh, a recurring theme this season, they might come out all guns blazing, but the guns are pointed, you know, the opposite direction to where they should be. Was was Yosemite Sam a Marvel character? <laughs> I don't think so, but that's sort of yeah. how they come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or with a blunderbuss. Remember the old blunderbuss? You'd get them in the cartoons you, as well. Do you know who was a great proponent of the blunderbuss? No. Uncle Fester on the Adams oh. family. He had a yeah, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And what line did he use to spout after pulling out his blunderbuss? I can't remember. Let me was. shoot him in the back, Gomez. <laughs> Let me shoot him in the back. When you say blunderbuss, I always, for some reason, I always have this vision of a cartoon character with the old 
long johns with the flappy bit that hangs over your ass. <laughs> Spray, <laughs> spraying buckshot the, the, all the, over the place. The blunderbuss was a gun that had sort of a funnel at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And when, yeah. And when, when it was shot on a cartoon, the next frame would always have the funnel sort of um, f- frayed in 15 yeah, pieces. Yeah, because it blew back on them yeah, or correct. something. Yeah, okay, let's R- get on with the preview. Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, Brisbane had a pretty good win here against uh, North Melbourne earlier in the season. And, uh, yeah, it's, you can't not be impressed with them. I mean, they've they got the wins on the board. But Hawthorne last week was a, a good example of that. I mean, the Hawks got a five-goal jump on them. They won't want to uh, repeat that. But they were able to gradually peg them back and actually dominated play for most of the last three quarters without being able to put it on the board. So, and, and they're not a novelty. They've got a really reliable midfield. When you've got Lockie Neal in there, we know McCluggage now plays well most weeks. Mm. Zorko provides plenty of impact and drive. And if they lock down on Zorko, yep. inevitably somebody else will come in and do the job. So there's some real... Well, and the one who was most impressive last week, Jared Lyons, who was terrific. So you've got some midfield substance there, don't you? Yep, yep. No, absolutely. This is a game you now expect them to win. Um, and well, I, I think they're immature enough to do it. Will the AFL in their now possibly manic and frantic search to connect with younger fans align themselves more closely with the Brisbane full forward? Um, uh, His hip. Oh, hip. Yeah. Eric Hipwood. Hip, hip, Eric Hipwood. Yeah. He's, he's so cool. He doesn't even have to kick goals. He's happy kicking points. He's, he's a, a cool dude. He's got a very um, sort of delicate bone structure, hasn't he? Like, I always look at him and think he should be modelling or something, you know? He he started off his career with a centre part haircut, which made him look like one of those players from the 1930s. Yeah. What's he doing now? He what? can do what he wants because he's Eric Hipwood. Okay. Uh, so Brisbane for both of us yeah. there. Let's move on to our next game. And it is the highly anticipated clash. No, no need for that. Gold Coast taking on North Melbourne. North have lost a Gold Coast before. Don't worry about that. Yeah, uh, last year up in um, one. Cairns. Was it Cairns? Uh, it wet, played un- underwater, basically. Mm. Uh, Gold Coast take on a better North Melbourne, don't they? Yes. Not because of the change of coach particularly, but I think just because they're playing more the football that you certainly thought, and a lot of people thought they would be playing this year. Mm. And that is some attacking options. Ben Brown is now a goal kicker once again. Yeah. And once that happens, players like Mason would profit. Yeah, and, uh, well, the other one you need to mention is Nick Larkey. I think he, he's important uh, foil. structurally he's been very important to them, yeah. The back line returns to a sturdy operative with Tarrant playing good football. Mm. All of this is enough to beat Gold Coast wherever they play. I'm tipping north. Just incidentally... Um, and Goldstein's playing well. I got a bit of a, uh, a chip. Uh, as you know, there is a footyology thread on Big Footy and a big shout-out to everyone who reads Big Footy. It's a really good... I really like Big Footy. It's some, some very educated discussion on there about the game. There's often um, a fair bit of the other stuff too, but uh, I, I find it 
a really good uh, what's the word gauge of what of what hardcore footy fans are thinking. You're and scared of them, aren't you? Scared because if you say anything bad about them, they'll they, they fight. They bite back. Um, well, I've got to be honest. Actually, if you read the footyology thread on it, they're they're really enjoying the show. So uh, thanks, guys. Uh, and I'm being absolutely serious here. Really appreciate it. But um, I did say something on there. I talked. We were talking about Ben Cunnington, and I said. We talked about him sort of going under the radar, and I said, I reckon it's because he's very good at a lot of things, but not elite at anything. And um, a few North fans sort of picked me up on that, and probably rightfully so, talking about his handball. He, he's well, that's what I, because I compared him to Greg Williams. Yeah, I, you know, and, and it's a fair call. Also, I mean, his contested ball winning is, is probably elite too. So. I reckon his markings. For his height, for his size, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's just not super quick. No, good, good point. I, I guess I was sort of trying to think of an explanation as to why he wouldn't be one of the more fated, but but perhaps he is becoming more fated anyway. Anyway, he, it was he a, had a slow start this year. Last three weeks, he's been back. Yeah, uh, but but it was a, a fair enough thing to pick me up on, and I uh, I concur and I apologise. Um, What's that got to do with the game? Very little. But uh, I concur with what you said also, Finey. Uh, North Melbourne, a much better side over the last couple of weeks. Uh, various reasons for that. Um, simultaneously, Gold Coast, unfortunately, looks like it's starting to go the same way as last year. Just competitive for smaller patches and starting to get belted on the scoreboard, unfortunately, for a side that was... Weren't their first four or five games decided by less than a kick or something? It was yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, very tight. Um, but, yeah, they're starting to fill a pinch. Absolutely no question about that. So even though it is up there, uh, I think North should have a pretty good win. North Melbourne for both of us. We move on, and we move on to Adelaide Oval and the Crows on Saturday night taking on GWS. And uh, I've got a bit of a surprise for you, Finey. You know what it is? I'm going to be at that game. Crows GWS? I am. Why? <laughs> I'm covering it for 3AW because it is the only game on Saturday night. So uh, sparing no expense, the management, where uh, there's a few of us going over for that. I don't usually do the interstate games, but I'm doing this one. Actually, it's very convenient because Abby is going to a wedding in Adelaide of a friend of ours, and we uh, we get to have a, a night together away from kiddies at a hotel. Gee, that's, so, that's serendipitous. It is, it is. I was just going to go with fortuitous, but serendipitous certainly sounds better. Anyway, the game should be pretty good too. Um, good comeback win by the Crows in the end uh, up in Darwin against Melbourne, but GWS playing some powerhouse footy. What happens, do you think? Cracking game, isn't it? I mean, the fact that it's in Adelaide really levels things up. It's a very important game for the Adelaide Crows, just like... Richmond, who can't afford to drop a couple in a row, Adelaide need to start winning, getting on a bit of a roll and winning a few in a row. GWS, mm. up till half time, were sort of running up and down on the one spot against Gold Coast, and then it's as though a couple of goals freed them up to be more uh, expansive, expressive, and risk taking, and then they just absolutely put Gold Coast to the sword. It's a big test for GWS. They came to Melbourne a couple of weeks ago and passed that test with flying colours. Can they do so over in the city of Churches? Yeah. Sorry, I just snickered because you said flying colours always makes me think of Ricky in Trailer Park boy, Boys who thinks that phrase is flying carpets. Um, 
Well, I must say, just like you don't know The Simpsons, I don't know Trailer Park Boys. Oh, you got to, you'd love it. You've got to acquaint yourself with it. Yeah, um, same with you and The Simpsons. Um, yeah, no, I've watched The Simpsons. I've watched some Simpsons. Yeah. No, I'll watch Poochie. It rung a bell, actually. I might have said it. So is it a bigger test for Adelaide or GWS? Equal, an equally stern test for both of them. What a fantastic game you're going to, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, it should be a good game. I'm quite looking forward to it. Um, who wins? Adelaide wins Giants. Say it again? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll make a call. That's what we're supposed to be doing. GW Crows. Um, uh, I'll go for... You know what? I'll go for the Giants. On the back of how well they did when they came down to Melbourne, I think they can rightfully stake a claim, you know, put their, throw their head into being a genuine premiership contender by showing us that they can travel anywhere and beat a team that they should be beating, that they would be, we'd be tipping them strongly at home. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb because I really don't necessarily think this about the Giants, so I'm going to try and say this ahead of when it happens, that they are maturing into a team that will beat sides that they would definitely beat at home away. Giants are mine. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I go back to that uh, 2017 qualifying final where Adelaide dealt with them very comfortably, but that was a very different Adelaide. And whilst the Crows are looking better, they're still not getting it completely together, are they? I mean, let's be honest, had Melbourne kicked anything other than one eight in the last quarter last week, the Crows would have, should lost have lost that game. to Melbourne. So, uh, you know, on form, yeah, it's it's quite simple. GWS's form is outstanding at the moment. Smash Gold Coast, you know, like you said, pass that test in Melbourne. Um, they need to sustain it, yeah. I mean, there's still, even a couple of times this year, have had the odd slip. Um, but this, the slips have been more in the games where you didn't expect them to. This is a game where we know it's going to be tough for them because of it being away and Adelaide, da 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 So I think they'll be mentally well set for it. Um, I concur. Uh, he said that word again. I, I think the Giants will win that one as well. Let's move on to Sunday. And, uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't have the same luster about it, this game, as it... You would have thought Sydney taking on West Coast at the SCG. Yeah, not quite the days of unsplittable Sydney and West Coast, the mid two thousands, when you know all games between them were close, including two grand finals. West Coast are not quite right, but getting the job done. Sydney are not quite wrong, and not getting the job done. Do you know what I mean? They're, yeah, they're, they're Sydney are. I not, think West Coast. I, I think you, that's harsh on West Coast. I think they are quite right now. Yeah, you do. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think they're quite right yet. They're still not playing four quarters for mine, but Sydney are not quite dead. You know, they, they, I'm not dead yet. Their ladder position tends to indicate that the era is over, but they they're not going quietly into the night. Do you remember that? Monty Python, the whole yeah, yeah. Bring out your dad. I'm not dead. <laughs> Go on, sorry. They, they are not sub- submitting to, you know, their passing easily. And West Coast are not quite for mine back to a, an, un, you know, a team that you are compelled to tip because they are the premiers on the way to making a really forceful 
defence of that premiership. Geez, they couldn't have done a lot more last week. They absolutely smashed the Bulldogs. Yeah, kicked accurately. Yeah, again, again, that first quarter they were they were sort they were well and truly outplayed for part of that game. Mm. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh on West Coast, but I won't be harsh in the tipping. I'm going to tip them. I'll tip them to win. Yeah, because the graph is slowly heading in the right direction. Maybe I'm marking them harshly, but then again, I'm marking them as the reigning premier, so I mark them on going back-to-back. Mm. They're not yet playing back-to-back football, but their slight improvement each week and their growing confidence in the task at hand should be enough to overcome a game swans. Yeah, yeah, game is a fair description. I thought they were pretty game down at Geelong, but um, again, you know, West Coast doesn't have one of the most powerful midfield groups in the league. But I just think without Josh Kennedy, uh, it's just p- probably a bridge too far. And I, Buddy, yeah, Buddy's struggling, I reckon, a bit. He just looks a bit banged up and sore and not quite there for me. You know what's a common theme for mine with these teams at the top of the ladder? Geelong, a bit, a bit like this. Collingwood a lot, West Coast a lot. And that is that they are winning their games... Patches. Well, they're sort of working their way into games. Yeah. That they're coming over the top of the team, over top of teams mm. at the end. Of course, Collingwood weren't able to do it against Fremantle, but generally Collingwood have been playing their better football towards the end of the game, yeah. as have West Coast, as have Geelong. It's not really historically the way top teams do it. Yeah. Top teams often just come out of the boxes and, you know, put teams to the sword. Yeah. yeah. Often, often in the past, taking their foot off the gas at the end of games. Mm. But it's a bit different this year. Yeah, it is. There's there's a few different things about this year. Um, so West Coast for both of us again. We uh, concur once more. And round twelve wraps up on the Queen's birthday Monday with, of course, the traditional clash of uh, those great rivals of the 1950s, Collingwood and Melbourne, and of course the uh, game uh, for a great cause. Finally, the big freeze, the Neil Danaher. Um, fundraising campaign, of course, to aid research and treatment of motor neurone disease. It's a fantastic cause, so give generously. Uh, we see the celebs go down the slide. There's um, who have they got this year? They've oh, lost track of it. Uh, Brennan Favola. Uh, who else is in there? No, don't worry about it. Anyway, there'll be a bunch of I think former players. Actually, I read something about Scott, Scott Pendlebury agreeing to do it. That's going to be an interesting pre-game preparation for him, but uh, there you go. Um, Melbourne Collingwood, so the D's, uh, heartbreak again for them. Should have won that game in Darwin last week. Uh, the Pies nutted on the line by Fremantle. Um, and they're probably that one's been coming for a few weeks, really. Like we, you just said, they've been playing in patches. Uh, but there wouldn't be much doubt about the Pies winning this one, would there? I expect Dixon to have a good game. Paul Sarong <laughs> should be in fine form. Up front, Melbourne have big Bob Johnson to look out for, whilst Collingwood will be aiming for Toomey to have another constructive game. All in all, though, I pick the Pies over Melbourne in this one, the big game on Monday at the MCG. And for anyone asking, what the hell was that? That is Finey's uh, newsreel voice. Am I correct in stating that? Newsreel predicted 1957. And didn't the crowd love it? <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, madam, it is cold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Um, do we give Melbourne any chance at all? Look, Collingwood are the better team, and you don't want to play Collingwood. You don't want to play very good teams after a On close the rebound, loss. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. 
I agree, and they haven't. Um, they haven't. Have they? They haven't smashed them for a while, have they? No. no. I remember. I remember once somebody saying, "You know, you don't want to play a team on the rebound," and me thinking, "Hang on, secure to lose every week. That should make us. <laughs> that should make us hard to beat." Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Good point. <laughs> too, um, many, too many rebounds aren't rebounds. Yes. Uh, no. Melbourne. Uh, sorry, not Melbourne. Collingwood comfortably for both of us. And you know what that means because we were level coming into this round. You caught me. We're 65 apiece. Yes, cannot be separated. Well, we've got half a season to sort that out. Well, not this week because we've gone for the same six winners. Okay, so we will will, uh, live or die together, Uh, not for the first time. Uh, All right, there's previews with Punch. Uh, Let's bring it on home. On Footyology, the final word. Okay, uh, we told you about our exciting competition. Time now to announce the winners. And uh, you are required to send in your best wet weather football story, be it as a player, a spectator, you name it. And uh, we had some fantastic entries, Finey, but there were two in particular you wanted to focus on. Uh, well, the, the, thing, the thing is the entries were quite fulsome, so they I want to read out and do them justice. So we've got a runner-up and a winner. All right. So our runner-up first. Our runner-up is... Who is it? It's Damo, and it's beautifully written, especially because I've got a daughter at Wesley. I I know exactly what he's talking about. (laughs) Called (laughs) Damo? Okay. I've got a wet footy experience for you. Year seven Bs, the Bs always get the worst ground, footy at Wesley College, Faulkner Park, early on a Saturday morning, 2001. Typical soak ground, relentless rain turning into sideways hail by the second quarter. If you opened your mouth, you would have lost your teeth, I reckon. Very, very expressive. Anyway. Most of the players on the ground ground ended up shielding themselves most of the second quarter as the ball hardly moved anywhere. As Melbourne weather does, it stopped abruptly. Some light rain continued. The game ended. The score was about one goal two to two goals two. And I spent, now this is my favourite bit, I spent most of the last quarter throwing ice balls at my opponent (laughs) on the forward line. (laughs) The ball couldn't get out of the midfield. And uh, I was a stay-at-home forward, as was the trend back in the day. Imagine that, the, just making ice balls and throwing it at your opponent. Lovely. It's good, cute. Good work, Damo. And Damo, actually, I'm just having a look at your entry now, Damo, and you said some very nice things about the podcast. So thanks a lot. Much appreciated. Don't you love um, those, uh, you know, have you seen, it used to be in Almost Football Legends, that show footage of junior games, you know, where the ball is anchored up one end for yeah. the entire game, the kids down the other end are all yeah. swinging around the goalposts. <laughs> That's so, great. <laughs> I used to love that stuff. So, uh, well done, Damo, and thanks for your support. Now, Simeon, you're the winner, and we're going to send you out a magnificent Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt and a cap. They're limited edition, and I love this. Hearing you mention wet weather footy, I immediately think back to playing D3 MOs in Hawthorne back in 2004. Now, I know the Hawthorne amateur team. They're a good bunch of blokes. As you can imagine, it's not always easy to get motivated for D3 ammos. And this was a day I didn't want to be there at all. It was in the single figures, had been pouring freezing rain all morning. We splashed out onto the ground on a surface that drained as well as a sealed bowl. We were playing in three inches of water. My feet were numbed by game time. My limbs and body followed soon after. My wool, I love this. My woolen long sleeve jumper was meant to warm me, but instead retain the water and made the sleeves hang past my hands. I watched in roar as the ruckman half heartedly raised a fist to the centre bounce, ice squirting through the downpour. <laughs> None of the reserves players stayed to watch, no other spectators turned up. 
The only people watching were the coaches and team officials. During a lull in play, the only noise that could be heard, echo around the ground, was the magnet board rattling on the fence as the coach, as the coach shivered behind it. <laughs> How expressive is this? Should, this guy should write novels. By halftime, the result was beyond doubt. So out on the far wing, <laughs> this is so good, my opponent and I agreed that when the ball came towards us, we would make sure it didn't go out of bounds and cause the clock to stop. So we would take turns in beating it back into the middle. <laughs> Everyone was happy with this, and players were doing it all over the ground. The game was a joke. As the final siren, at the final siren, no handshakes or small talk. Everybody bolted straight for the changing rooms. The umpires went so quick, it looked like they were being chased by an angry mob. There was, of course, only one shower and no hot water. This was the coldest I've ever been in my life, and that includes jumping into a freezing lake nude and running through the snow. <laughs> great. That is a great story. Uh, well done, Simeon. Simeon. I mean, yeah. that is just... Oh, you get cold read. You get you feel cold, don't you? Just nah, reading it. Very deserved oh, winner. So, Sim, Simeon, uh, we have a Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt and cap... To warm you up. ...for you. Uh, just email us again with your um, postal address, if you can, and uh, our, our delivery team... <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get that prize out to you. And finally, of course, we're going to do a competition every week, so uh, we might actually be having a couple more prizes to throw into the kitty. But what is this week's task well, for our competition? Of, it, it kicks on from the cold theme, but of course, a big part of Queen of Queen's birthday football is the the big freeze for yep. motor neurone disease. Yep, and people go down the slide. Celebrities. So we are asking, who would you send down the slide, and why? And it doesn't just, anybody. Any, it doesn't just have to be a footy person. Could it could be, be Scott anyone. Morrison. Yep. Who's the leader of the Labor Party? You know who it is. No, Anthony Albanese. Really? You know that? They've why? given up. I like Albo. <laughs> anyway, go could on. be him. Yeah, go on. I'll put Bob Catter down the slide, only to separate him from his hat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it doesn't have to be politics either. But no, uh, no, it could be anything. Whoever you think deserves to go down the side, but, uh, slide, but we need a decent explanation as to why. Just not me, because I hate, I can't even jump into a heated swimming pool without feeling cold. Oh, it's a very cruel line I was going to come up with there. But doesn't, don't, Shrinkage. No, don't you have to be a celebrity? No, anybody. Oh, okay. All <laughs> right. You mentioned celebrities. I'm going to put some of my kids down the slide. Yeah, no, fair enough. Give them a wash. Um, just don't make the same sort of comment that Eddie made about Caroline Wilson uh, uh, during the big freeze a few years back. Uh, all right, so email those uh, entries in on the uh, – you'll find the email. It is – in fact, the email is info at footyology.com.au, I-N-F-O at footyology.com.au, but there is a – website form there on the Footyology website, which no doubt you'll be going to to keep up to date with all latest news and analysis. And we've got some great stuff on there at the moment. Uh, I've read some great articles by some new contributors. Yes, Shane Hope, formerly of the West Australian, he's writing for us twice a week, finding his final siren now in there as well. Uh, Another guy, James Williams, budding um, writer who's uh, weighed in on the Carlton thing. So we're getting more content up there and appreciate your feedback on that and your support. So get on the website. Don't just check out this podcast, footyology.com. .au. That's it for this week. As you know, we always finish off with a song, and uh, during our Media Watch segment, we hinted at some possibly disturbing directional changes uh, for the uh, AFL website and how they might pursue a more lifestyle bent. 
Where are we going with this one? Well, this is uh, for all you hip young kids out there. This who are is, now 40. <laughs> who are now 40. This is a band called Good Charlotte and Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And very importantly, we will see you not on Sunday evening. Of course, the round finishes on Monday. We'll be recording a special Footyology podcast post the Melbourne Collingwood game, Queen's Birthday Monday. We'll see you then.